So here we are again. Yes, help is not on the way with Kevin Ballman and and Mark Dustin. Help is not on the way. Another round of our uh, world uh, world famous podcast. Our 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 very small world. Right, <laughs> the very small world we live in. People have listened. People have listened. I mean, there was like eighteen downloads one week, and I only accounted for seventeen of them. Which is like. Like but, that's a hundred percent better than it was the week before. Yeah, I, when when I accounted for all eighteen, <laughs> <laughs> all your devices all around your right. house. Like we, I don't think I use this one. I yet. yell at my kid and my wife. I'm like, download, download the podcast. We Come need on. just like someone like hold your 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 you know like someone in a hospital bed hold their thumb up to their right. phone so that it registers. Just download it. I, then we'll then we'll then we'll talk about the will. Right. You you can delete it afterwards. Just delete it right away. It doesn't matter. It counts anyway. <laughs> towards towards our ticker tape. And and we've been uh, talking about our own weeks where it felt like help was not on the way. But we've got some real ones where help was not on the way. We have some. I think um, I think we have some great ones today. I mean, I think we have some really. I think this is a. You know, this is one of those ones where we we were both scratching our heads. I mean, until maybe this morning. No, for me it was until four o'clock. No, five o'clock. Yeah, I think I figured out what. I, now, of course, usually when I pick something out, I've already, I already yeah. known about it. Yeah, it's just trying to figure out what to do. That's the hard. Yeah, part. which which one? What's yeah. gonna what's gonna counterbalance each other's? And also, you know, and also, there's a bit of a um, there's a little bit of a how you gonna get into this. Yours today, I think, is that one. Mine is a little more straight across the board. But sometimes you want to figure out your way in. What's the angle to actually make it fit even loosely to our premise and all right. of that stuff? So, but yours definitely sounds like it's uh, it's from the little I know about it. It sounds like it's gonna it's going to kind of like be one of the more abstract and really cool ones that has a lot of angles to it. Yeah. I think it's going to be, it's a, it's a little more general, like not a one story really. It's more of a general kind of concept. Should we, uh, should we get into it? You want to go yeah. first? You want me to hit it for, you know, you go ahead. Let's, let's hear it. Okay. My story is really about in general, it's what's called uh, germ theory of disease. Which just sounds cool right away. It, it does. But, you know, prior to our understanding of what causes illness, mm-hmm. typically, you know, viruses and bacteria, so organisms. Yeah, because uh, there was a time where people had just, I mean, they thought it could have been, you know, I don't know. Something else. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, the, there was, there was what, uh, bloodletting at some point, yeah. and there was, you know, evil spirits and all sorts of things, right? Any, anything could have, at some point, anything could have right. could have done it, and nobody knew it was these little microbes. Nobody no. had a clue. The, the original, kind of like the, the preceding theory that had the most, um, most weight or the most, you know, credibility was called uh, uh, miasma or miasma mm-hmm. theory, mm-hmm. which was... Also known as night air, and it was kind of like toxic air. Sure, stagnant sort of. And I guess miasma is uh, ancient Greek for pollution. Okay, so you know, so people lived in pretty bad circumstances. There was whatever you know, like a human waste in the streets, or you're just there was no. It wasn't like the idea of like opening two windows for airflow was not a thing yet. You were sort of like crammed into your place, especially in the winter time, the cold. And, and I mean, when you think about it, that's, I mean, those kinds of things, probably there's, there's a little bit to that, uh, you know, I mean, 
uh, they thought rotting organic matter maybe was the cause or, you know, things like that. And um, there's obviously uh, it w- is and were issues with organic rotting matter. Yeah. But it was not the cause of these diseases. Yeah. Right. right. And, it, and it did take it. It, it really kind of started with um, uh, like in uh, let's see, the first person to write about this was uh Thucydides is oh it sounds like a Greek, Greek name we go in Greek, Greek historian yeah. it's all Greek to me that's why that's where the, the that's where the saying it's all Greek to me came from right and it was Greek basically names. the 4th century BC yeah and uh he wrote about the plague of Athens that the disease could spread from an infected person to a, another person which is which is obviously like light years ahead of yes how what it took to get to anyone else to pay attention to and that and when you think much. about like when did when did this become yeah. accepted it's a long it's time. a long time and so this is i know it's a little stretch but this is where i kind of came up with the idea that this is help is not on the way and that there may have been say um, i don't know uh, more than a thousand years of needless deaths because nobody picked up on right. And I mean, and to be fair, this is sort of like otherworldly thinking. Sure. By him. I mean, he is clearly vastly ahead of his time in his thinking. Right. And and the um, it was physicians in the Middle Ages, ten twenty five, fourteenth uh, century. 16th century, 18th century started to expand on this. There was um, Ibn Sina, uh, Ibn Katima. Hmm. You know, th- these are like, um, you know, Persian and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Middle East um, kind of uh, physicians or right. uh, scientists or. So they're like way, way, way ahead of themselves, way on the fringes. People don't really can't get. Their, it's like Scientology; they can't get their heads around right. the truth. Yes, yet the magic rocks or whatever it is. <laughs> that's right. Or no, that, that's not Scientology. The seven thirty-seven under the um, mountain or whatever. I'm confused about which. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the same. It's pretty much the same. It's the magic rocks. So we have all this this time in which people, you know, people propose these things, but it's yeah. it's kind of like hearsay. People don't want to believe it. And um, eventually, this we get to the 19th century, and there's uh, this is kind of like when this um, germ theory of disease really starts to take hold. People start to figure things out, um, but it's not it's not easy, mm-hmm. of course, because it involves human beings. It's kind of like it's kind of like wear mask or not wear mask. Mm-hmm, like how mm-hmm. could a mask possibly prevent something from going in or out of your mouth or nose. Sure. I mean, just because it's covered doesn't mean it's it it's a lot like a lot of things in life is is once right. it's revealed you're like, oh duh, obviously. Duh, obviously, know, right. Yeah. Really, it's it is really is almost as straightforward as that yeah. to a degree. But of course at the time that people just had no concept. No one had ever thought that way. Yeah, I mean we we still argue about things. Um, you know, whether there's global warming, whether humans right. are causing it or even involved in it whatsoever. Yeah, or if you change the moon or right. Earth's orbit, if it will fix global warming. <laughs> that 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 is yeah um, something Which that we might have to talk about Service. in our uh, other podcast. Are we recording? Which apparently the, the smartest man. I mean, not the smartest man. Not 
in Congress, smartest. right? Smartest. I don't think it's smartest. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't. I think I haven't he was seen, referred to as something opposite of the smartest. I haven't man. seen this. Yeah. I don't know. Ever. I don't know all the people in Congress. I can't really. Speak right. I can't to say. The smartest I can't claim that the, he is the smartest not or not. Smartest. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's possible. I don't know. It's possible. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it is the thing. We're not insiders. We're not insiders. No, so maybe we don't know exactly. He may have information we don't have. Right. I mean, maybe the Earth really is flat, and I just, you know, I don't know. But there was in a hospital in Vienna, Vienna General Hospital, in the 1840s, was mm-hmm. this Doctor Ignaz Semmelweis, hmm. and uh, this is kind of I, th- I think it's not like an unknown story. If you know people who who are into this kind of stuff, probably have heard of this guy, and he uh, was working in a hospital where it was a very large hospital. It was possibly the one of the if not the world's largest teaching hospitals at the time. Uh-huh. And in their maternity ward, it was so large, they divided it in half. Mm. One half was doctors and their students. The other half was uh, midwives and their students. The doctor side had a much higher um, death rate in the maternity ward. Interesting. Much higher, like five times higher. Yeah. It was like 90% versus 30 Thirty-six percent. Oh yeah. I mean, like most, yeah. like you went to give birth and you got the doctors, you're probably gonna die. Yeah, yeah. It's a death sentence. Now he tried to figure out why is that the case, uh-huh. which it sounds like other people weren't even trying to figure out why. Right. So I mean, first of all, he's curious, which mm-hmm. is like the first step in this. Process. Well, and maybe he's scientific too, in the sense of sort of looking closely at. You know, it's the pattern, looking every single day at the right. same routine and looking for something that jumps out at you at some point. It's- and he had, he had a great idea because, first, first of all, he noticed that in the doctor's ward, the priest would walk through ringing a loud bell. Mm-hmm. And he figured the ringing of the bell was scaring the women to death. Well, yeah. 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 That makes so a heck of a lot of sense. When, when I heard that, I thought, okay... Not a genius. Okay. Yeah, but he, but he was curious still because what happened is he had the priest alter his route and not go through there. And guess what? They still died at the same rate. I think that the thing here that was, that's a trap that's easy to fall into, and I've already kind of commented like jokingly about it, is, the, is that you can, you can say, duh, you know, I mean, that sounds like a dumb thing. But again, we're talking about a time when you just don't know what right. the heck it could be. I mean, I, I, you know, trying to be the devil's advocate here and trying to be decent about this guy who clearly came through with some pretty good ideas in the end. Um, yeah, look at everything, right? Yeah, look at everything for Why sure. Not? And he and he and he did. So to his credit, I mean, credit, credit. He deserves a lot of credit, to be honest. Because, yeah, there you go. He, you know, he was. He was there were there were he's not the only one who is starting to think these things. Yeah. This is just one particular story in which um help was not on the way. He tried. He tried. Basically, he then figured out after one of his friends and colleagues died from the same disease that the women were dying uh-huh. from, that it wasn't just something that happened to women giving birth. He then thought well, what, what is the other difference? And he realized that um, 
And this doctor got the disease, the disease, I'm putting that in quotes because I don't know what what they were calling it then, you know, but he died after getting sick uh, from performing an autopsy Mm -hmm. and he had pricked his finger. Interesting. So then he thought, oh, it's, he got a piece of the dead person on him and that caused him to die too. So again, closer. Yeah, closer. Yeah. Much closer than a loud ringing bell. Right. Um, so he convinced the doctors to wash their hands in between right. doing autopsies and examining women or, or performing childbirth. So he, in a sense, he's sort of like, he has no idea. He doesn't know. But right. He does not know. He's trying something. Yes. He's got something. And he obviously was on the right path. He didn't yes. know what it was, but. And, and they do. They, they start washing their hands. And for three years. Uh, it's like 1847 to 1850, I believe. Um, they washed their hands, and the bur- uh, the death rate on the doctor side drops to about the same as on the midwife side. Right. So, so success, that immediate right? evidence, obviously, yeah. very clear. Yeah. If you wash your hands, uh, and don't spread whatever thing, pieces of cadaver or whatever it is, you will prevent deaths. But that that we can't just you know have have this like happy ending. He, uh, for better or worse, has kind of a uh, a personality that's a little bit. Um, I, I, he's accusing people. I mean, he's basically uh, putting the blame for the deaths of the women prior to this on the doctors, or at least that's how they see it. Yeah, he's starting to go out and give these talks. In 1850, he gives a talk uh, where he, you know, really kind of lays the blame at the feet of the doctors who really didn't want to, like, you know, wash their hands because, what, wash my hands? And I mean, come on. Like, how ridiculous is this <laughs> to wash my hands? Come on. What is there, like, like, little invisible men on my fingers that go and kill? You know, I mean, I think that's... Which is probably literally the words that right. were said to him. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. And, and uh, yes, but they're not men. So the hospital decides they're not going to do that anymore. Yeah, yeah. And the death rate goes back up. Right. Just in the face of all evidence. Right. And I, just, it's, it's, it's all comes down to marketing. How do you going to mar- how are you going to finesse and politicize this? It's, it's really right easy to, because you said politicize and it's really easy to tie all things back to our current politis- politicization of everything, right? right. Wearing masks. Whether you should get vaccinated, yeah. whether global warming is real, whether it's right. caused by man, it's all a, a political, yeah. tribalistic. Yeah. You got to pick a side. Right. And if you pick this side, you can't believe in this thing because yeah. then you're a traitor. Yeah. Yeah. You got you got to go. You got to go Michigan State, or you got to go. Yeah, you know, I mean, them. Arkansas, or else, <laughs> right. you know, Ohio State. Uh, you can't be a fan of Ohio State, Michigan State. Are you yeah, crazy? You can't. Yeah, to death. You got to yes. go to death. That's yeah. right. And whatever, if that death is 20, 10 years earlier, because then that because you liked Ohio State, well, then that's that's the way it goes. That's right. I mean, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's right. <laughs> nothing. And if that takes like I'm several pregnant women lo- with you, loyal that's okay person. too. Right. Right. So, you know, um, he ends up dying in an insane asylum. Wow. I believe is what Not like, like he wasn't like visiting a friend. Yeah. He got strapped in. Oh, uh, yeah. He's, I mean, he his career goes straight to straight to hell. I mean, wow. it's like down, down the drain, goodbye, goodbye career. And 
you know, it's like some of the articles I've read have said that some of these things were overstated and that it was kind of like his abrasive personality. But regardless of whether he was a nice guy or a jerk, yeah, he was right. And he was kind of persecuted for it. A couple of jerks uh, doing okay today, as I noticed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Making a lot of money. People are kind of like dig them. I mean, I don't know. It's a lot of jerks. It's a lot of jerks, actually. I mean, you can get some serious jerk action, especially if you dive into the entertainment industry. I mean, jerks do great today. Some jerks do really well, right? Some jerks do well. And some jerks are kind of penalized for it. I think it depends. If you're a jerk that's not trying to help people, it's good. Yeah. If you're a jerk that's trying to help people, it's bad. It's also if you're a jerk that's creating something that other people like, like music or something or if you're a jerk that made a couple of billion dollars and so now you're respected because no matter how much of a jerk you are you made lots of money and if you if you're a jerk to the person who's my enemy then you're all right and you're cool with me yeah 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 yeah, yeah. the enemy of my enemy is my friend that's right that's right (laughs) and you know um there, there is still to this day, I'm just going to kind of throw this in here right now, but there is to this day germ theory denialism. Weird. And so there are people who still well, not don't, really be- I know, it's not as weird as it should be, right? Yeah. Not as surprising as it should be. Yeah. As is the idea that the earth is flat and there's a giant wall of ice so all the way around it that prevents yeah. you from falling off. Yeah, and then we're all part of a game. Isn't there a whole thing there? We're yeah, part yeah. of some sort of computer game. I, I probably. I think there's that. Yeah, there's a few things that are sort of like I. I think that the sad thing about that is that I I, I don't know I, I I subscribe to the and of course this is all subjective but I subscribe to the belief that there are certain tenets that that there are certain things that are just universal truths some of you out there may be denying that but they're still true right like there are germs yeah and, there are germs and and they're I, i'm gonna go on a limb here that the earth is round world's round <laughs> roundish pretty round yeah yeah kind of this because a little yeah. of a warp to it yeah. because of you know yeah the gra- gravitational because of the spin around the, the sun right I, but, I still don't understand why i don't feel like a six thousand mile per hour wind though while i'm standing here because if the Earth is spinning at six thousand miles per hour, oh, you think it'd be windy, right? It should be really. The other windy. thing about that, all that is that it. Who cares? <laughs> like, what's like? It's like it's like. Does do it you, change anything? I remember right? watching, seeing like an episode or something like that of like one of these old shows, like uh, Morton Downey Jr. Remember him? Or mm-hmm. we getting into this with like already recording, but um, uh, or I don't know, one of those crazy talk shows, and looking at these people all day doing their thing and people yelling at them and all stuff. And I'm just like, who has the time to care? Right. I don't care. They hurt anybody. I don't, I don't care. I, I they just don't care. Like it's like, well, it's kind of like, you know, right now there's a whole debate on, and I know we're getting a little sidetracked, but are. that's kind of cool, right? Fault. It's all right. I like it. I think it's fun. Yeah. Um, whether or not COVID-19 escaped from a lab. Right. Which is, you know, uh, one side decided, yes, that's the theory we're going with. And the other side was like, no way. And now some of the publications on the side that was in the no way camp kind of like, well, you know, there's something to this. It's possible. Mm-hmm. My whole thing the entire time has been, it doesn't change anything. Yeah. Right, I mean, right. yes. Should we get to the bottom yeah, of we it? Should, yeah. We should try to get yeah, to the bottom yeah. of it. And we should, pro- if it did come from a lab, we should try to right. make sure that it doesn't happen mm-hmm. again. But that doesn't change how we 
react to it and whether we deny that it exists or right. whether we decide that Bill Gates manufactured it so that he could make a, a patent on a vaccination that will make him a bi- billionaire. Wait, he's already a billionaire? God, Mark. Damn it. This keeps coming back to haunt me. I just, I keep trying to come up with these these theories and they just fall apart when I step through it, you know, yeah, one, yeah. one step I mean, at a billionaires, time. Billionaires, yeah, I don't understand. The thing that, that, comes, that comes to mind to me is it's like if you're in the tank of water that's filling up and you're running out of air, sort of arguing about what caused the hole in the ship. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. It's your fault. You yeah, were supposed you and to I, be. You and I are sort of in that Titanic moment where, you know, you and we're we're breathing the last vestige, the last pocket of air. Our lips are up there and our nose is almost covered. And we're, we're trying to hold on. About and we're arguing fault. over like who, whether we hit another ship or an iceberg. Right. Or if the iceberg was a plant, right? Like it was it had been like pushed towards us by the Chinese. Bill, Bill Gates put the put the iceberg there. He towed it there in front of us, <laughs> dropped it with his massive yacht, massive yacht, five hundred billion. That's yacht. so big, right? It, it doesn't. It's but but it doesn't show up on satellite images because right, it's stealth. He because it's stealth. He paid <laughs> he because it's camouflaged like the ocean. It's painted blue. It's painted like a big iceberg. <laughs> painted it like a giant iceberg. We are so getting off track oh today, gosh. Kevin. Uh, so, all right, I will get back on. So, Ignaz Semmelweis is kind of like, this is kind of the um, display of human, what, what what am I trying to say here? It's, it's, it's basically people who are so, uh, you know, it's, it's like American exceptionalism. You can't ever deny that you're wrong because that would under, under, um, you know, that would, take away the foundation of your belief that you are exceptional. Like, right. Yes. That you, you can never make a mistake because if you made a mistake, maybe you, you aren't as exceptional as you thought. And so human beings, these doctors thought they were superior beings. And this guy, and he wasn't the only one came out and said, no, you're wrong. It's this thing and you should wash your hands. Right. And if you don't, people die and it's your fault. And they were like, Hmm. They they were Don't not tell happy. Me what to do. So there well, was, especially the surgical type, the, the doctor type, because oh, yes. some of those, some of them have a little bit of a god complex. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, there's one in the news recently here in Whitefish, and I won't even mention, but um, but it's kind of that thing. Yeah. Um. Uh. So there was a doctor in Italy who had come up with this idea uh, in the early 1800s. Uh, then there was Semmelweis, and then there was Mantell in the UK, uh, John Snow in the UK. Louis Pasteur, mm. um, Robert uh, Koch, Koch, not sure, uh, from Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then finally, it kind of, uh, people kind of came to accept this in the late 1800s with Joseph Lister. 1870s, he was, uh, you know, developed practical applications for, uh, for germ theory with things like sanitation and antiseptics and washing your hands, sure. wearing gloves, things like that. Um, and so when you look at how long people had to die because, uh, I, hubris, is that the word I'm looking for? Hubris? Sure. Like, yeah. um, just refusing to expand your horizons and yep. say, maybe there is something to that, this. Yeah. Well, and okay. And so once you reach the point where it's no longer science fiction right i mean mm-hmm. in, in in greece it was science fiction it's too far past the mental capacity of someone I, I don't mean mental capacity that's not the right word but like the scientific advances of the age to grasp you know 
that there are little men running around killing us. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Uh, that we can't see. Right. Um, but there is a point where it be, you're right. You're right. Especially once there was actual evidence in the hospital in Vienna to say like, there's this is data now. Right. That I think that that's the great failing of human beings is and well this we know this right is that there's a certain amount of the population that's willing to follow the the the, the sort of the, the lead of data because data is not passionate it does not have a leaning it just is data right right and yes you can read data in different ways sure no, 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 no. you could you can manipulate your study you could set it up so you know you only have healthy people or sick people or right. whatever right. but you know the still the data is the data Right. And you could look at the, the the scientific, you know, study and say, well, there's failings here, but still yeah. X number of people lived and X number of people died. Well, there and there's something to this. And so right. then you have to take that data that this guy and maybe he is nuts and you don't really know, but the fact is that the hospital should have taken it seriously back then and gone, Hey man, I'm a, hey, I don't really know what this guy's doing. He's a little sketchy. Maybe we'll put another face on this right. when we actually roll it out. But let's let's test like that's that whole concept of sort of like scientific journals right yeah. they have to meet a certain threshold and they have to prove it and they have to show the proof and it's got to be very clean proof and and i mean the whole the whole the whole point of science is that someone else can reproduce your experiment right right i mean otherwise if you can't reproduce the outcome then it's a fluke or yeah. it didn't happen exactly. yeah, or you or you you know or you made it up it. yeah exactly so it's pretty interesting and i mean you know there was uh oliver wendell holmes was another doctor american doctor yeah. who almost lost his um his medical license when he suggested people might live longer if the doctors washed their hands between patients god can you believe they just didn't want uh, it's like, it's fa- if the doctors themselves had come up with this theory all together, right? Like they were all drinking beers at the pub and they were like, you know, right, Mark, if we washed our hands, oh, let's try that. Yeah. And then if they'd come up with it, right, it would have been clean sailing. Uh, Everybody it, would have been, wow, look at these geniuses. But when this other guy comes up with it and tells all these genius doctors that they need to It's interesting because I wonder if people really just thought that, well, they would have, right? I mean, the only thing on my hands is dirt. You know, or, well, yeah, you wiped your nose, maybe, your blood or whatever. But they just see this as such a tangible thing that you can touch. So it can't be, it's it's not smaller than what I see. And that's the, that obviously is, there's a huge ignorance to it and refusal to believe, you know, data in the face of your own sort of ego. But, um, but looking at things as from a tangible it, I can see blood. Right. Blood can't. It can't go in somewhere. It can't go somewhere else. Right. It's right here. It's just blood. Yeah. It's such a bizarre thing now. And now it's bizarre. But then again, you know, you rewind. If I had been standing there reading the newspaper or whatever, listen to the town crier. At, right. You know. I mean, we had uh, what uh, heliocentrism versus, um, you know, like whether whether the Earth was the center of the universe or whether the sun was. Right. And yeah. when when it was determined that the Earth, or or claimed, I should say, mm. because according to everybody else, it wasn't determined yet, but it was claimed to that the Sun was the center of the galaxy, uh, and or I mean of um, you know of the solar system, and that 
everything, all the planets revolved around the sun and not the other way around. That was hearsay. And it was so yeah. contradictory to, even though, even though they could prove it, it wasn't understood by those that were needed convincing. And so therefore, instead of me being inferior, you're just going to jail and you're going to die because I don't want to hear it. Which is like toxic individualism on a universal scale. Like I'm yeah. so insecure. I have to be on a on a little golf ball floating in the middle of nowhere, but everything else has to be floating around me. And which, which is, again, comes right back to it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Right? I mean, does your life change in any way? No. If... Right. The earth is not yeah. the center of the universe. It does. You don't get a raise because of it. You're not like your kids aren't going to be healthier because of it. You're not going to like not get gout because of it. It's like it's it. None of this. None of it. None there's of it matters. no benefit to you fighting this battle. Right. Except for obstructionism. Yep. And the, and the, the person, the person who, who suffers because of it, because of the claim is only trying to make progress in in some scientific way. Right. There's nothing they gain from it. Yeah. It's absurdity. <laughs> it's absolutely, yeah, right. Exactly. Like, what are they going to get? Notoriety all over the place? But see, very, very, see, I mean, that's the transition right there. Polar opposite though. And this is what I, what I love when we come up with the concepts like this, where we're both on the entirely different spectrum of our, like sort of interests and in our, what we're interested in this week. Um, mine is, so mine's a story that you know about, we all know about to some degree, but, um, uh, uh, it's the story of the mutiny on the, sh- the HMS Bounty, the ship, the Bounty. Um, almost everyone's heard about it. There have been movies. Even Mel Gibson was in one of them years and years ago. It's, uh, I think, um, uh, who else? Uh, there have been a few people that have done There have been a few movies. Um, uh, Anthony Hopkins, I think, was uh, in one. Maybe even the one with Mel Gibson. I think so. Anyway, the reason I bring this up is because I read the. There's actually a trilogy. Most people um, have read the first book. It's a small, quick read, and it's really good. Um, but it's actually a trilogy of books, and and I didn't know that when I picked up the first book many, many, many years ago. And then I read the second book, which is a little slow. Eh, it's not so exciting, but it's it's fascinating. And then the third book kind of wraps it up in this really great sort of like bow. Um, so I'll tell you like uh, the story of this and I'm going to try to like I'm going to jump through a couple of things because it is a lo- there's a lot to it. So but jump in all you can here cuz there's some stuff, Kevin, there's some stuff. So uh for those who don't know, the mutiny and the bounty it was um a mutiny uh that um some sailors um on uh, on a ship called the Bounty in the South Pacific they mutinied and they took the ship over and they, and they and they uh and they sort of fled. Um, it's so much more than that, though. So the Bounty was a cutter ship, which uh, was bought by the Royal Navy in, in, in Britain in 1787. It was bought for like 2,000 pounds. So you can imagine what, what like things cost back then right. compared to today. Um, it, was, it had like the three, you know, typical ship of that era, three masts, 91 feet long, 20 wide, 25 feet wide at its widest. It was the kind of ship you can picture, but not a big one for the... Um, for the era, for like sort of like a warship kind of thing, and um, it did have some guns and a small. Uh, they 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 packed it with a like sort of a trunk full of muskets and small arms. And so what the what the British were trying to do at the time was they had um, they needed some a, a cheap way to feed slaves, 
in the West Indies. I think it was in the West Indies they had sort of like, you know, the, the British at one point sort of ruled the planet. And, um, and they had come up with this idea to go to Tahiti and pick up this fruit called bread. It's actually this fruit called breadfruit. It grows really easily in the tropical climates, and they wanted to recreate it and feed it to slaves. They thought it was a great idea, so they, um, so they they task this ship with going to Tahiti, picking up a thousand plants and bringing them to the West Indies. And what this means, though, is that, you know, these ships were not meant for this. So it means there's not enough room on these ships for this. So they had to take over the captain's quarters and um, a lot of the ship. And they were going to stuff the crew, the captain, and the officers all into a really small remaining space, which... Sounds like a recipe for disaster. Yeah, right in the, from in the, the hot tropics yeah. and or rolling rocking right. seas and stuff. Oh, yeah, you're already yeah. At, a, at a deficit kicking this thing off. So... Um, this commander of the ship is, is an experienced captain. His name's um, Lieutenant William Bly, well known as uh, Captain Bly for anyone who's read this story. <clears throat> uh, this is a prestigious appointment, and uh, it, but it requires him to take a huge cut in pay. He's making 500 pounds a year on another ship, and he has to drop down to 70 pounds a year to captain this ship. But it's a it's a good it's a cool assignment so okay. one of the do- things you take to kind of bump your career up for the future you know right it's 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 like good on the resume yeah it's gonna look great in his resume yeah. so the crew's made up of 44 royal navy sailors and two botanists and among the most hand-picked uh, uh, the mostly hand-picked clue crew was this um 23 year old guy named fletcher christian and he's the son of some wealthy parents and he chose the sea over legal career. And um, and he'd been out doing some things, and he'd actually uh, sailed with Bly before, so they knew each other already. Um, so they get out to sea. I'm sorry, sorry, jumping ahead here. The bounty sets sail from England on December 23rd, uh, 1787. Now, this has been after a long set of delays. They were trying to beat the um, the weather five, four or five months earlier. And, oh. you know, bureaucracy and red tape held them up. And so they didn't get going. So they they they're finally on their way, but it's not going. It's already sort of like not going great so far. They're they're already way behind. So once at sea, Bly uh, he implements this strict discipline on board regarding sanitation and diet, which is a strategy to keep the crew healthy. And that he learned while serving under this. If anyone knows anything about sort of England and and. Um, uh, and the English Navy, et cetera, there was a captain named Captain Cook who's just very, very, very famous. Um, and Bly, Bly was uh, worked for, was under him on uh, several voyages, and so Bly is implementing some of his rules to keep everyone healthy and happy and safe, and they're pretty strict rules. And anyone who doesn't know this, in the British Navy at the time, essentially the captain of the ship is like the emperor. He is the king of the ship. There is no, you do not, do anything that the captain doesn't agree to you know it's very 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 uh uh very regimented and very rule oriented and the captain is the king but captain Bly enforces these rules in what is you know later was called a fanatical zeal so he really he's an intense guy and he's not a very nice guy i mean so he's like you know like your typical middle manager yeah yeah. yeah, he got some power. Yeah. 
He's by the way, he is really good at what he does. So maybe he's better than your typical middle middle manager. I mean, he's, he's qua- at least qualified. He does own it. Like it's yeah. the that's the one thing about Captain Bly you'll see throughout this story is as much as he's like kind of like a not a he's sort of the, the kind of guy that you love to hate. Uh, he's good at what he does. Like you can't deny that this guy is top of his game with some stuff. And a lot of that comes down to this regiment, the fact that he's willing to go through anything to get to the end result. Um, and he, for the most part, seems to toe the party line himself. You know, he'll do it too. But it, but his men are probably not so disciplined, right? I yeah, mean, I mean, we're not talking about no. like, I mean, Royal Navy, okay, it's Royal Navy at least. It's not just sort of like the people you pick up at a bar to throw on the ship to go on some merchant marine ship. This is actually the Navy, but there's still, I mean, right. things were a little, run a little looser back yeah. then. So... The journey to Tahiti, which took almost a year and covered about 31,000 miles because they had to weave around, you know, points and capes and horns and all that stuff. Um, it starts out smoothly for the most part. Uh, people are pretty happy with how things are going. I mean, it's rough life, but they're okay. Um, but uh, it become, begins to become fraught with tension. The, one of the first things um, uh, that – one of the first things is it um, – I got a little buzzer going on here. One of the first things is that uh, um, so as I was saying, the um, the journey to Tahiti, which took almost a year and covered about thirty one thousand miles, it starts smoothly, um, and but it becomes fraught with tension. Um, first, because Bly is really, really overbearing, and his rule implementation. Um, and other incidents uh, start to kind of get in the way. Like, for instance, the this this dr- the the ship surgeon. He's a drunkard. His last name. His name's Huggin, and he kills this uh, this this crewman while treating him for asthma with bloodletting. We talked about that in the earlier uh, podcast on the earlier session um, by carelessly causing the infection because he's just not pay- he's drunk. He's not like being careful. He probably he probably did not wash his hands. Germ theory. He right. didn't know anything about germ theory or wasn't paying attention to it. And he tries to cover up his mistake by claiming it was scurvy. It's a whole thing on board. Um, anyway, you can see things are starting to like devolve a little bit. So the bounty uh, anchors in um, Matavia Bay on October 26, 1788. And that is in Tahiti. And uh, Bly, which is wor- he's warmly welcomed by the local chieftains, um, one of which actually remembers him from 15 years earlier when he arrived with Captain Cook. Wow. Pretty good memory. Yeah. So, you know, it's a little tense on board, but it, it, it's starting to look up. Um, Bly gives some gifts and um, the local chieftains realize that they find out that they're really only asking for breadfruit in return, um, and which is like. Fine, like really fine. Yeah, you don't, <laughs> yeah. You don't want anything else? You can have all that, all that you want. So they start. The sailors start to getting getting to work gathering the plants, um, and they're being led at this point by Fletcher Christian. He's not the second in command, by the way. He's like the fourth tier guy. But Bly has been sort of like Bly likes him at this. Well, he he liked him at the start of the journey, and he gives him some promotions, and nobody really says anything about it. But it's a little bit of a thing, but not too bad because he sort of be sort of giving handing him promotions. But Bly's also starting to sour on him a little bit as things kind of move along. The other thing that the crew uh, get busy with is the local ladies. Um, 
<laughs> women. Yeah. Yeah. We're, you I mean, know, you, you got a ship of men. It's taken them almost a year to get here. They, I mean, like, what do you expect? They're right? in Tahiti now. Um, and uh, 18 members of the crew are treated pretty, pretty quickly for venereal disease, <laughs> which also includes Fletcher Christian. But, uh, and this is, a, this is, and this knocks me out. Christian, so he develops a relation, an actual, like, serious relationship with a Polynesian woman whose name is uh, Mautua, but he renames her Isabel after a former girlfriend from England. So, I mean... He's like, no, no, no. This is what I will call you. <laughs> yeah, like I remember. It's like a, I don't know. There's some holes in that we could punch real quickly here with a little class act. Come on, Christian, a little classier okay. than that. So, so that's the thing is like when you watch like the movies, you see Mel Gibson playing Fletcher Christian, and he's just like this great looking guy, and he's very stand up, and he's honest, and he takes. But the truth is, I think Fletcher. I mean, Fletcher Christian was and a he, bit of a. And he probably didn't look like Mel Gibson. I doubt he looked like Mel Gibson. But he, yeah, I mean, he seemed to do okay. So Bly, and he's 23 at the time too. So he, Bly, now Bly doesn't get involved with the local ladies, uh, but he is becoming increasingly volatile. Um, he's really mad because his crew seems to be more and more slack in their work efforts. And he is really turning his sights on to Christian, and he is humiliating him in front of others, locals and crew members alike, and he's blaming him for the crew's mm. sort of laziness. And now things like floggings, which, which Bly was really, really proud early and wrote about really, really earlier in the, in the um, journey about being really proud everyone was sort of towing the line and stuff, these are becoming more more common. Bly is starting to get like just 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 flat out angry all the time and really losing losing his cool. So the alcoholic surgeon Huggin, who refuses, this guy literally refuses to exercise. Bly wrote that basically, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but he wrote in in a journal entry that, that, that he won't even come up above board for more than like six laps around the deck on any given day and you got to drag him out to do it. Like he likes to be below board in the putrid dungeon of a even on the nicest day he, he would have been a great modern day like QAnon troll right he oh yeah down in his parents basement gaming tommy come upstairs and mom. you need to go go get the trash mom mom I'm busy. mom you're 38 years old right. tommy mom yeah that guy. Um, so he dies. He he he's not come out. He just sort of like alcoholism and whatever he's doing, like his lifestyle. He dies on December tenth, um, and of uh, seventeen eighty eight. And uh, so fast forward to April first. We're five months in. It's seventeen eighty nine now, and the and 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 it's been great. The crew. Ha- I mean, you, we got to remember, like being on these ships in the open ocean. It's it's really hard work. I mean, yeah. even if it's not hard work, I mean, the weather, the conditions, the food, the water, I mean, everything is putrid and disgusting. It's a hard, hard, hard life. But they've been hanging out in Tahiti for the last five months. They've got relatively easy labor, labor co- collecting breadfruit plants. They are uh, enjoying the local sort of women and, you know, whatever's the luxuries of Tahiti. And um, and they're faced with uh, going back out to, to return 
uh, to bring these breadfruit plants to the Dutch East Indies, which is where are Dutch Dutch West Indies, where they have to. Um, uh, um, sorry, Dutch East Indies, where they have to sort of like re- return them and they've got to get back out into the open ocean and they're going to go and Bly's, Bly's all for it. He's like, this is, he's a company man. He loves this. So they, they, they load up the boat and they go to the great displeasure to, displeasure of many of the crew. And uh, soon, like right away on board, Bly's anger and intolerance worsens. And keeping in mind now, he was probably kind of in the same headspace, but now you're all trapped on a boat with him. You can't right. get away and he's got you as captors. So Christian, um, he's constantly being, being targeted and blamed by Bly for thefts by Island inhabitants where they stop for water and for personally stealing coconuts from Bly's personal supply. And Christian's pretty much just like at his wits end. And uh, and uh, some other other crew guys learn that Christians has an intent to fashion a raft and desert the ship. And some of the other crew members sort of like realize that this about him, and and they come to him and they're like, "Hey, listen, um, if you decide to seize the ship, like a lot of the crew are going to back you up. Like you're gonna, it's gonna work out." So I think, you know, he mulls this over a bit and kind of like what figure decides on what he's going to do. And on April 28th, um, 1789, he, he, it's like, it's like, I don't know, it's like 4 a.m. or something like that. He decides to act and he moves to take the ship. He breaks into the chest, storing the arms with a couple of the guys who kind of like were definitely on board with him. And uh, they quickly uh, uh, capture Captain Bly. So... That same day, Bly is set adrift on a 23-foot launch. It's like a basically a boat with a sail, small boat with a sail, um, with 18 other men, uh, with five days water and food, a compass, a quadrant, um, which is that, what does that do? That, that sort of measures the uh, horizon to the stars, I think. So, and then a sextant, which yeah. sort of measures the distance between two far points um, on the horizon. And a pocket watch for keeping time. Um, and lastly, before setting them adrift, the mutineers hand over four cutlasses. And uh, several more men who want to go. So Christian sort of, he he underestimated the amount of people who'd want to join him. A lot more of the crew than he expected wanted to, were loyal to Bly. Although he still got the ship. So he, but he, but he can't fit them all in this boat. They're going to drown. If he so does he doesn't force them all overboard though. No, he doesn't. He, uh, he actually keeps a couple carpenters and forces them to stay saying you have to, cause we're going to need you. Um, and there's no more room in the boat anyway. Um, and, uh, and a lot of those who want to leave, uh, beg Bly, beg him to remember that they were not part of the mutiny because they're like. Tell him we're not, we didn't do this. Right, yeah. If you go back to England and Christian's pretty cool about it. He's like, look, if, if I get captured, I promise you, I'll tell them you did not, you were not part of this. Um, but these guys have no choice. They're going. So the launch uh, set sail at 10 a.m. with only seven inches of, from the lip of the boat to the water level. Yeah. In the middle of the ocean and Bly uh, raises the sail and immediately sets off for the island of uh, Tofua, which is visible in the distance by a plume of smoke from its volcano. It's like, it's like, it's incredible, right? Yeah. I, mean, it's a, I mean, it's just, it's such an incredible story. The Bly, so, so Bly, 
finds uh he finds an island to land on it's not tofua but it's right nearby and he and he finds the native initial natives initially friendly but after four days on the island tensions grow and the sailors are forced to just jump in the boat really on a moment's notice and get off the island um but during the chaos of the departure um as they're being sort of chased down the beach by the natives um one man is killed by a stone as the locals scramble to keep the boat from launching so rather than land elsewhere, because they've now seen this as a big risk um, and, and, and risk another confrontation, and, and by the way, they're passing through areas during some of this journey um, where some islands have a reputation of ca- even cannibalism, Bly decides to press on to the Dutch settlement in Timor, which is 4,000 miles away. He's in a boat that's 23 feet long with now 18 total people, and he's got seven inches of clearance. And to get there, he to to figure he figures out the way to do it is to ration the food and water. So rations are implemented at one ounce of bread and one quarter pint of water a day in the open ocean. <laughs> so the journey, as you can imagine, is absolutely miserable. And without shelter, uh, there's from the weather, and there it's cold and it's wet, and they're hungry and it's gnawing at them. Uh, but Blight, Bly uh, keeps their spirits up by telling stories and getting them men singing and just he's he's praying. He's just really just keeping up their spirits. This is where it comes down to the fact that he may have been a terrible, you know, guy in a lot of ways. But maybe he could have tried some of these tactics a little earlier. Maybe in the journey. Singing. Yeah. Keeping the spirits up. Singing. Hell, right. yeah, keeping spirits up. He was a little too late on the keeping the spirits up part of his uh, his personality. So um, they land on an island. Uh, they, 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 one, uh, at one other time in this journey, they land on an island near Australia that Bly renames Restoration Island. And they are all so hungry. They, just, they find berries and oysters, and they're just stuffing their faces. And four days passed again in this, on this island, and tensions are mounting again because Bly is relentless, right? And right. he actually threatens to kill one of the crew. Um, and this is all broken up by his ship's mate, and they get on the boat and sort of like, sort of like, get on their way again. And Bly, who's a master navigator, he navigates a really because he has no charts with him. His charts were left, which he gathered for fifteen years. You know, they they would make his own yeah. charts and keep them. You sure. Know? Um, he uh, he navigates a complicated passage of shoals and small islands and reefs and sandbanks through the hardest days of the journey like the worst of the worst, and finally sails into Kupang Harbor, uh, I believe is in, is in Timor, with a makeshift Union Jack flag hoisted. Um, and all but one of his launch crew is still alive. Um, so he's done it, you know, 4,000 miles in a tiny craft. And although <laughs> what's sort of like speaking to your, something you pointed out earlier, it was just sort of a bit of irony, Several of his men do die in the days to come, but all because of like local illnesses and they're already weakened and et cetera. But that he did get them there. So he immediately reports the mutiny and and and, and then himself soon obtains passage aboard another ship for England where um, news precedes him about this the mutiny and his and his journey, and he is hailed a hero when he returns. And on uh, November 19, uh, 1790, the HMS Pandora is dispatched to search for the mutineers and return them to England to face trial. 
So, um, and several of them, when they are um, brought back, they're hanged. Some are acquitted, but the trials, uh, uh, the trial illuminates Blight's Bly's. I keep saying Blight Bly's treatment of the men in his command and the adulation that he met when he came back from England. Like, kind of fades. Like he, he didn't. He kind of he kind of fails upwards from there. He becomes the governor of New South Wales in Australia, which might not have been such a sweet thing back then. But he does okay for the rest of his career. But right. he he's he comes back a hero, and he kind of like it all fades when people start to go. No, he was awful to us. There's a reason right. why we did this. So meanwhile, now aboard the Bounty, this is the this is kind of where the the film ends and the first book more or less ends. But but the fascinating, a lot of fascinating stuff happens afterwards. So, meanwhile, aboard the Bounty, Christian uh, Fletcher Christian, he is is in command, and the breadfruit are thrown overboard, and they've headed back to Tahiti because they're like, "This is awesome over here." But bef- but they they know that the British Navy, they, they're, Christian suspects that Bly might make it, and and that the. British will come looking. And they're going to come looking for him. And they know where to go. They can't go right back to Tahiti, you know. So they stop on this island uh, called uh, Tubuai. Um, They try to build a little fort. It doesn't work. The locals are mad. Um, uh, There's a big, a couple of huge battles. And and, and he brings everyone together. And and, uh, Christian brings everyone together and they have a meeting and several of the mutineers request to be brought back to Tahiti, regardless of the fact that British Navy is going to go there first. Um, the others, there are eight in total, along with Christian, sail on after orchestrating a party. So they 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 they, they go to Tahiti. The, the local Tahitians aren't very happy with them, but they let the 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 members who the sixteen guys who want to get off the boat, and then the eight more who like Christian included who want to keep going they throw a party on the boat like i think 16 or so women and like six men join the party and they're having a great little party and and christian cuts the mooring and lets the boat drift off basically kidnapping the people who were on the boat and um taking them captive because he because what he needs and he knows he needs is he needs women because these guys aren't they're gonna kill each other without you know women so that's what he does, right? So aboard the ship, many of the crew decide to stay disciplined. Um, they're like, you know what? The way the, the, the Navy works because the na- the, because of our discipline, it's how we survive. A couple of crew guys, though, these two guys, they become drunken and dissolute. And they're, they're met with really violent ends because one of them murders the other. And then the guy who murders the guy gets killed by some of the Tahitian friends of the guy he murdered. So these guys are just... These guys just destined to fail, you know. Um, but back in Tahiti, the HMS Pandora has arrived and detained the mutineers. They make no distinction between those who had taken part in the mutiny and those who had been against it. All are shackled below decks and the ship sets sail to search for the bounty. Finding nothing among the thousands of islands, the um, captain eventually sets sail for the Dutch East Indies, but runs aground on the Great Barrier Reef tipping the boat over, sinking the ship. But many, and on the way down, many of the prisoners, um, which uh, were are unshackled and let out, but they couldn't get to all of them in time. And several just went down with the ship, just breathing the air at the top of the, you know, as it, as it overcame their mouths and noses, like we were talking about <laughs> right. um, before all of this. Um, 
The remaining crew and prisoners are left aboard, uh, are, are put aboard a launch pretty much like the one Bly was on and have to practically follow his journey all the way to the Dutch East Indies, just like he did from this ship that, that wow. just collapsed. It's almost the same thing. So they um, are brought back to England and many are hanged, although some do receive pardons for various reasons. The HMS Bounty, which is now captained by uh, Fletcher, uh, uh, Fletcher Christian, sails west and in, is in search of a safe haven. And it finds um, Pitcairn Island, which is a small island uh, reported in 1767, but which mischarted on the maps. So it was, it was charted in the wrong place in the ocean. So after searching for months, he finds the island, which is about 218 miles east of its recorded position which is great for him because right. the charting area um, provides uh, uh, him a safe place that there's no on, not on any other maps. It's got a rocky coast. It's hard to land. It's a great place to hide. Uh, they strip the bounty of everything uh, of value and burn it in the bay, which is now, by the way, still exists and is known as Bounty Bay. Initially, the island is, is awesome. Everything is great. Everyone's happy. Uh, there's water, there's food, there's fertile land, and this is kind of where human nature takes over. Right. Kevin. I, I was just going to say, I mean, I have a feeling yeah. that um, this isn't how it's going to end. I'm going to feed the pessimist in you, Kevin, Perfect. and I hate to do it. <laughs> I hate to do it. I hate to feed that monster. That monster's hungry, though. I, th- I think you actually like it. I might like it, but but I would rather not have to feed. I'd rather pessimism but, but we was... Both know. We know. We know. We know what's going to happen yeah. here. Christian and Isabella, they have a son. His name's, they name him Thursday October uh, Christian. Uh, <laughs> the other children, other children are born, but gradually tensions arise because mm. many of the Europeans, the mutineers, they begin to view the Tahitians as property. Mm. Oh, yes. Yes. It's a very animal farm here. Right. Um, particularly, of course, the women. Um, and it's things start to get ugly. Uh, in September 1793, tensions absolutely boil over, and five of the mutineers, which does do include Christian, are killed by the male Tahitians in what's a, a planned murder plot. So back to the whole Christian thing. Yeah. I don't know that he was as... I mean, he's one of the targeted guys. Yeah. I don't know he was as good as... He, he should have been a better... Right. He should have, like cooler let's put it that way um tensions continue and by 1794 all the tahitian men who came to the island are dead they've either killed been killed by the widows of the men they murdered or by one another (laughs) another mutineer commits suicide and yet another began begins to threaten more killings but is then killed by two others and calm so so basically once Almost everybody was killed. There was peace. Basically, all the men. Yeah, all the men. Yeah. Once all the men were dead. Yeah. And there was just a, a few left and women and children, things were okay. Yeah. Pretty, you're pretty much, it's Lord of the Flies for, right. for a little bit here. And they've, and the last, and, but well, in, in, in this case, and there's, and there is, a, there is a, um, there is something really fantastic about this because it's not a type A last, demon standing gets to rule the roost kind of thing the 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 two men that kill the last sort of like 
problem person. Their names are Young and Adams, last names. Young does die himself late, like from something I forget what he dies from. Asthma. Yes, you're right, asthma. So, but but Adams survives, and and he's an all right guy. I mean, by all accounts, I don't I don't really know. I can't. I shouldn't say that. I mean, from what I understand, he he he. What he did was good, like overall afterwards, um, at least by all accounts that I've read. I mean, there was him, nine women, yeah, and a bunch of kids, and a bunch of kids, and and he's the only one. So what he does, um, it's now the year uh, eighteen hundred, and he, it's just ten years after they land on the island, and there's only one mutineer and and the only man remaining. Everyone else is dead. Um, his name's Adams, as I mentioned, and 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 he's and he takes on the responsibility of educating the women and children. And this is the part that I sort of say is like, great. He's not a drunkard. He's not a listless person. He decides he's going to educate everybody, which is which is which is great. Um, in eighteen fourteen, which now we're obviously jumping forward by fourteen years, we're now twenty four years after the search. For the bounty has been abandoned by abandoned. Two British warships happen upon the island. They've basically been there, isolated, with no contact with the outside world for twenty four years. Right? Um, uh, these 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 warships happen upon the island, and the natives uh, swim out to the island. And the guys are standing on the deck and they've seen this sort of thing before. Oh, they're going to come out in their boats and their long boats. They're going to come out, they're going to swim out to the island and, um, and to meet them and to greet them. And, they, and, and the natives are these young people and they climb on board and the crew of these British ships are shocked that they f- speak perfect English. Like they walk on the board and they're like, hey, how are you? It's really I mean, it's like an alien at but, that, but with a British accent. With a British accent, right? Yeah. I didn't want to do the British <laughs> accent right now because I don't know if I could pull it off. Well, you know, one of the things that because I'm kind of looking at this too, yeah, yeah, talking about it. So in 1800, there was the one mutineer. Yeah, there were nine women and 19 children. So that's 29 people. Yeah, when the two ships arrived. There was a population of 46, mainly young, led by Adams. There's been a little bit of inbreeding going Eh, on. You might have had a couple of, uh, I don't know. What's what happens on Pitcairn Island? Unless it was just Adams and the women only. Otherwise, it was inbreeding. Adams has definitely enjoyed, I would imagine. I mean, he, you know, as when I was talking him up a little bit, I did backpedal a little bit because I don't really know. <laughs> that said, I I can't judge right. if you're the only guy on an island and you've got to like you know. I mean, I mean if if everyone's happy, right? Yeah. I'm that guy. You know, if, no one's being taken advantage of. But I don't know that. But right. I'm just saying. But yeah, there's. But I 40- imagine there was children from the children. Yeah, which is kind of like that's where I'm that would be really tough that you're getting yeah there's not far you can't go far without sort of like hitting yeah. a rock of your relative anyway so <laughs> so thursday october christian is among the 46 islanders who are were led by adams adams is the leader he's still alive and the british navy choose not to pursue the remaining mutineer they leave him alone 
And Adams is still, I believe to this day, celebrated as the founder of the Pitcairn community. And uh, he did die in 1829. So he lived a long time. Yeah, I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. And uh, and he's told his story uh, several times to to over the years to people who've documented it. And this is the story. And he is celebrated as an exemplar of Victorian morality. Yeah. Is that a thing? Is Victorian morality a thing? According to Wikipedia. It might be. It might be a thing. (laughs) The island, if anyone's wondering, is 18 square miles. Um, It's it's, it's volcanic rock. Not very big. It's tropical. But today, even as of today, the the population, by the way, is only 67. So not much bigger than it was. Not much. And it's, and by the way, also, I guess I should say it's, it's, it's not far. It's, but it's, it's, um, where is it? It's, it's kind of out. I don't even know. It's it's literally in the middle of nowhere. Like it's 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 it part part of this island cluster, four islands called Oceana, and they are the most remote. One of the most. This is one of the most remote sites of human habitation on the Earth. So really, they shouldn't be there. Basically, is what you're saying. If it wasn't for the HMS Bounty, that's a. Um, I mean, it really is a crazy story, and. Uh... It's kind of like a real life Lord of the Flies. It is, yeah. And you but know, that was played off because there were kids. Kids don't know better, right? right kids right. can't can't, can't you know, they're not was, emotionally developed enough. This Come was on. the adults. These idiots couldn't. It, it it might actually work out better in reality if it was kids. Kevin, if you put me and you and like you know whatever, a group of people on an island. One of us would be dead within a week. Within a week. Yeah. I don't know how they lasted this 10 years. <laughs> My God, Kevin. <laughs> I'd, I'd have strangled... I'd, I'd have tried to... You'd have strangled me by now. I'd hit you over the head with this microphone. My goodness, yes. You'd, you'd have brought the microphone from the ship for That's that purpose right. alone. I gotta, I'm got. i going to need to hit Mark right. with this microphone. I had to hit him 87 times because... Not very heavy. Yeah, it's not very heavy. Use the bass. You gotta, right. The trick is to hold it by the microphone part and use the bass. Oh, see, smart. Yeah, with the hinge you would, part. You would have won that one because you've thought of that already. And you want to use the keep the hinge <laughs> part moving so you get a good swing Momentum, with the hinge. Yes. Yeah, that's what you want to do. Yeah, yeah. In case it ever comes up. Right. Could happen. You never We're know. We're stranded on this desk floating in the ocean. Yeah, because what impresses me the most about this is that they didn't kill each other right away. You know? <laughs> it took him 10 years it's unbelievable unbelievable human beings really or they just were at each other's throats i i don't know how they did how how they did it i mean but it's it's crazy that that adams managed to make it yeah and the right guy it sounds like yeah. the right guy made it, it i mean i mean i might need some looking into to make sure you know he and he has 27 children yeah from nine wives yeah He's like he's like the uh, polygamist dream. That's right. He's <laughs> a dream polygamist. If if he had been on a bigger continent, right, he could have had a big, you know, he could have led a very large. Yeah. Uh, he's like, why oh, should we movement. should have picked up some more Tahitians? Right. This would have been great. Yeah. I mean, this was cool, but the, I mean, you know, six for whatever, how, what, nine women, ten years. That's a it's a fair amount, but. Is you ask Adams what if we could have done it different? What would you have done? And he does have a pretty good. I mean, Adams. That's a pretty good name for being like a 
Western religious leader. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like Clunkenfold <laughs> or like one of those weird. Right. You know, that reminds me, there's like this, there's, I have this book called, um, uh, what's it called? Oh my goodness. Uh, oh my goodness. I can't think of the name of it all of a sudden. I have this great book and it is all sorts of uh, little facts, like crazy little facts. And one of the facts is, you know, um, uh, famous people who took their mother's maiden name over their father's name. Ooh. And I, sh- and I wish I could remember the exact one, but Shakespeare took his mother's maiden really? name. Yeah. And his, and his father's name was something like Donkenstein or something. <laughs> and you're like, thank gosh, they we're not calling it like, he was probably like, mm, well, yeah, Donkenstein. No. I think I'll go with the other one. It was Shakespeare. Just even then it sounded cooler. Right. Which at the time could have been different. Donkenstein could have been like the raddest. Right. Maybe people were like, dude, I dude, can't believe you chose Shakespeare, Shakespeare. over Donkenstein. Man, Donkenstein's like what is prestigious. wrong with you? Everyone knows the Donkensteins are like, you know, the people. That's what you want. Everyone just envies the Donkenstein that's name. Right. Anyway. the beat of a different drummer. <laughs> he did. He did. Old Shakespeare. That's right. That was him. That's what everyone said about him. That's Shakespeare. That Donkenstein. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is Help Is Not On The Way with Mark Dustin. And Kevin Bauman. We'll and be back again <laughs> with two more amazing stories. 